Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Good morning. So good to have you with us this morning. If it's your first time here, we just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, not just here physically, but online as well on Facebook and YouTube. I'll tell you, the church has had to learn some uh, different avenues and things there. Uh, to make sure that we could reach people over the last year. But it's great to see faces back here, amen? And uh, I just want to let everyone know uh, from Michelle and the girls, they're just so thankful uh, just for the outpouring of love, and uh, they just appreciate it so much. Um, They're not with us this morning. Uh, How many know sometimes we can just get tired, you know? And so I said, you stay home and rest, it's all good. But you guys are just amazing uh, to our family. And to the families here that are going through stuff, that's one thing I can say is Faith City just digs in. We dig in our heels, you know, and we step up to the plate and we help each other out. So that's amazing. Uh, Also, just want to keep those uh, who are in the eye of the hurricane right now uh, down south. Let's make sure that we're just continuing to agree for that thing to dissipate. In Jesus' name, we actually have some family members that live down there as well. Uh, Bianca and Jeremy and, and the kiddos there, um, actually our youth leaders who had to move, but uh, just a little tidbit to let you know, we're looking at some ways to bring them in through Zoom so they can still teach and be here for the youth because every time they come back to visit, uh, you know, Bianca for sure, she comes back almost a whole summer and uh, they usually are here face-to-face doing things with the youth, so we thought, what better way? Technology can be great when we use it, right? And when it works, come on, Amen. So it's good stuff, you guys. Well, let's get started this morning. How many want to be encouraged? Isn't it great to be encouraged? I want to start today in the gospel of, let's pick John. How's John sound? The Apostle John is is pretty awesome. I do think it's funny that in his writing of the gospel, he refers to himself, uh, I think at least five times, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But I don't think that was out of arrogance. I do believe he, he understood the love of God. He understood the grace of God and what it meant to begin to see life in this new covenant uh, as a, a good Jewish boy, to see this new way and the way it was going. You know, many of us are probably familiar with the first miracle that Jesus performs in his ministry, and that's the turning of water into wine. How many are familiar with this? But I think like many things in scripture, if we aren't careful, we can read over the, the deeper meaning that is within these stories. I was thinking about this. How, how many have ever been on a, a flight, on an airplane? And you know, the view from the airplane is completely different than the view on the ground, isn't it? You ever notice that? Like you can see, and, and you know, someone who loves you know, film and, and videographer himself, I love the different shots. I usually describe it like that. So you've got that wide shot where you can see things wide, maybe a high shot, a drone shot, things like that. But then you have medium shots, you know? So maybe you see a particular city and you're flying over it. You're like, I've never seen it this way before. But then maybe you're standing at the top of a hill and you can see a little bit closer, but you see a different angle, a different vantage point. But then maybe you're in the city. And in the city, it just looks completely different. But then maybe you're in a restaurant or a home and it looks completely different. I believe that scripture has all these different facets and it's important for us sometimes to dig a little deeper, maybe not just fly over because it's so easy to just read something, especially with the 21st century mindset and not put ourselves into the frame of mind of maybe a first century Jew. 
And so what happens is we kind of miss what's going on and sometimes a symbolism or maybe, uh, you know, how great that what's happening is happening, that, whoa, this is out of character for what they were used to. And we know that when we study the life of Jesus, he was really subversive in his mission to change the way that we thought about God, to change the way that we thought about this world. And his first miracle was nothing less, I believe, than a means to upset the established system of religion of his time. So let's turn to the Gospel of John. And I want to read this story of his first miracle in John chapter 2. Verse 1. Three days later, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was at a wedding feast in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited and were there. So I want you to get this picture. They're at a wedding feast. Say wedding feast. And so we don't know if it was a friend of the family. We don't know if it was maybe extended family or what it was. But we know that Mary was there and Jesus came with his entourage, right? He came with his disciples. But look at this. When the wine was all gone, say the wine was gone. It's not a good wedding feast when the, when the wine runs out, right? Mary said to Jesus, they don't have any more wine. Jesus replied, mother, my time hasn't yet come. You must not tell me what to do. Look what Mary says to the servants. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. She's a good mom. Look at this, verse 6. At the feast, say at the feast. I really want us to key in on this next section of the story here. There were six stone water jars. How many? Six stone water jars that were used by the people for what? Washing themselves in the way their religion said they must. Each jar held about 100 liters Jesus told the servants to fill them. Fill what? The six clay jars. Fill them to the top with water. Then after the jars have been filled, look what he does. He said, now take some water and give it to the man in charge of the feast. Can you imagine what's going through the servant's head at this point? Why am I giving him water where everyone has just washed their hands? Look at this. And the man in charge drank some of the water that had now, say had now, turned into wine. This is cool. He did not know where the wine had come from, but the servants did. He called the bridegroom over and said, the wine or the best wine is always served first. Then after the guests have had plenty, the other wine is served, but you have kept the best until last. Verse 11. This was Jesus's first miracle. Now, this word miracle in the Greek is actually the word sign. And we know that in the gospel of John, there are seven signs that really are showing us that Jesus was the son of God. But look at this. This was Jesus' first miracle, and he did it in the village of Cana in Galilee. There Jesus showed his glory, and catch this last, this last sentence, and his disciples put their faith in him. See, there's something about a sign and a wonder. There's something about a miracle, amen? But in this miracle, Jesus turns water into wine. Pretty awesome wedding gift, wouldn't you say? I mean, think about the six huge jars full of the best wine in all of Cana. Now, John actually records that the stone water jars could each hold, let's bring it into our terms, about 20 to 30 gallons. And so that's a grand total of between 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Let's break it down even further. That would fill over 3,000, say 3,000, four-ounce glasses. Now, that's a party. I heard one pastor refer to it as the joy juice. (laughs) 
but, but there's something here about what Jesus does. Think about the radical symbolism in this event, because if you just read over it, it's easy to say, okay, Jesus took water, he turned it into wine. I mean, it's Jesus, that's great. They had a big party, they partied some more, the end. It's really easy to see that, and that's all we see. But I want you to realize something, that to those there that day, the idea of miraculously turning water into a completely different liquid was not new to these people. The people at the feast would understand as Jews, there's a very familiar story of Moses. How many are familiar with Moses? They would have been very familiar with Moses. By the way, who's considered the lawgiver? Moses, the lawgiver, you know that he actually was given the power to turn water into blood in Exodus 4. So this wasn't something necessarily new, but it was different. And what it was in the time of Moses as the lawgiver... It was a symbol of God's judgment. And so now Jesus shows up on the scene and he comes with the power to turn water into wine, which, by the way, if you look in the psalm, according to the Jews, is a symbol of God's blessing and joy. So it's from judgment to blessing and joy. See, something is changing. And Jesus isn't just performing a miracle to say, hey, I'm the son of God, check this out. But look, no hands. There's more to this. Something's changing. There's symbolism here. In the Hebrew scriptures written long before Jesus showed up to planet earth, God had prophesied that one day he would raise up a prophet like Moses. Like. Meaning similar in some ways, but also different in other ways, right? So think about this. Moses and Jesus offered people freedom from whatever enslaved them. Whether it was Egypt in the case of Moses or, you know, on that that one hand, but also on the other hand, this freedom from the enslavement of sin and selfishness. That's what Jesus came to reveal. And so Moses achieved that freedom for God's people through the giving of the law and its judgment. But then look at this. Jesus offered it by demonstrating God's grace and mercy. Say a new day. Same God, different time. And so there's this this shift that begins to take place and Jesus is trying to through, I mean, all through his ministry, there's so much depth and so much meaning in what he has said. But just think about this miracle. Of course, it would not be wrong to acknowledge that, you know, Jesus's message was one of blessing and joy. but But as I thought about this miracle, as I thought about this sign, I realized that Jesus He was not adding to established religious tradition through his miracle. He wasn't trying to add something to it. He was subverting it. I want us to see this this morning. Let's take another look at the vessels that Jesus uses for his first sign. John tells us that Jesus did not have the wine served out of ordinary wine jars, right? In fact, he directed the servants to use the sacred containers set aside for a religious ritual. So in the time of Jesus, you find that there was one of these traditions with some of the religious groups, especially those who we would call the Pharisees, where they would have this regular ritual hand cleansing. And so whenever they would uh, go into a home or a feast or a party or even the temple, things like that, they would dip their hands into the water, which would be a sign or a symbol that they had this desire to remain pure from the sin of the world. And so it was a religious ritual. Nothing wrong with religious rituals. 
unless we allow them to be higher or bigger or better than God. I like to say it like this. There's a lot of religious icons, but then they can become idols if we're not careful. Does that make sense? And so these clay jars that were used were literally used for dipping in the hands in order to cleanse in this symbol of saying, I, I want to stay pure from the sin of the world. But think about this. Here's a good question. Why would Jesus use these sacred stone jars for the water that was turned to wine? Why would he do this? I mean, there were undoubtedly other containers available that could have held this wine. I mean, think about this, they just ran out of wine at the party, so there obviously was plenty of empties lying around, right? There had to be some, I don't know if they call them wine skins or wine bottles or kegs or what it was. I mean, there was something that was containing the wine. Why didn't Jesus use those? Interesting question. Why did he use the stone jars? Why did he use the sacred icons of religious tradition of this time? In fact, why intentionally do something so potentially offensive? Can you see where maybe in the mind of the religious around this could have been offensive? Why is Jesus using those sacred jars? Those aren't meant for wine. Those are meant for the water so we can cleanse ourselves, purify ourselves. You see, in the story, we're faced with a very interesting yet undeniable fact. Through his first miracle, think about this, Jesus intentionally desecrates a religious icon. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, sometimes it's so easy, like I said, to just glaze over and read, oh, he just did some wonderful things. He, he brought healing, he brought love, he brought grace. But sometimes we miss the fact that he's messing around with a religious system. And he's doing it on purpose. Not to be mean, to try to get us, to try to bring us to repentance, metanoia, change your minds, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, it's within you. Repent, change your mind. Because when you change your mind, when you change your thinking, what happens? Your actions, your words, what you do, it completely changes. So think about this. He intentionally desecrates a religious Icon. He purposely chooses these sacred jars to challenge the religious system by converting them from icons of personal purification, listen to this, into symbols of relational celebration. There's nothing wrong with desiring to stay pure and be pure. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we, we get into this religious mindset and it's all about the doing, doing, doing. And so Jesus is radically changing this. He's saying, listen, yes, those were for personal purification, but I want to change this symbol to relational celebration. We could say it like this, Jesus takes us from holy water to wedding wine. He takes us from legalism to life. He takes us from religion to relationship. Do you see this? So to me, it wasn't an accident that Jesus used these particular clay jar pots or these jars. We don't know how big they were. I mean, obviously, they, hold, they held a lot, 20 to 30 gallons each. But there's a reason that he went this route. In fact, in his book, Selling Water by the River, Mennonite author Shane Hips says this about the miracle. This is good. As disruptive as Jesus can be, he is not in the business of destroying the good that went before. He did not smash the stone jars. 
Instead, he included the jars in the new thing he was creating. Isn't that good? He used them in a different way. What Jesus did may have been offensive to those steeped in traditions of religion, but it wasn't destructive. It was profoundly creative. Jesus seems to be saying that his message of love, which we know is radical acceptance, embracing, it's this engaging love, is too great to be contained by the old ways of religious tradition. And how many know there's truth to that? Here we are 2,000, over 2,000 years later, and sometimes we get so caught up in religious tradition that we forget about people. I hear people say, well, we just got to tell people the truth. But if you're a Jesus follower and, and you follow the scriptures, or at least that's your desire, aren't we supposed to speak the truth in love? Sometimes the love's absent. I'm talking to myself too. There's times where Holy Spirit has to change, you know, challenge me. And why are you doing this again? Why are you saying this again? Why are you talking to the person like that? What's, what's your reason here? And I have to be honest with myself. Am I doing this out of sheer love for the person or to get my opinion and point across? Come on. His new wine demands new wineskins. You know, what you'll find, especially if you're open to growth, is that we have come to a point, and most likely we do this many points on a journey, where we have to let go of our religious assumptions and actually let the Jesus of Scripture be who the Bible says he is and not who 2,000 years of church history and tradition say he should be. It's easy to do. It's easy to read over things. We talked last, last week, I say last year. Yeah, you talk about it a lot, Pastor Andy. We talked about who is your enemy. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, this crazy phrase, love your enemy, pray for those who despitefully use you. And sometimes we like to cherry pick and work around those, right? Because we have our enemies and I don't want to have to deal with that. Let them be my enemy. But I love Jesus and he loves me, which is true. But sometimes it's, it's not easy to follow this, this course, to follow this journey, especially if we're open to growth. So for many of us, we come to a place where we desire to learn more about and more from the Jesus who thinks our world needs more wine and less religion. And think about this. This one miracle story is simply the beginning of Jesus' desire to see us change our thinking and to bring us from religion to relationship, from legalism to life. This is a journey I'd say I've been over on over the last decade at least where some of the ideas I've had, some of the beliefs I've had, they've had to change. And how many know that's not an easy thing? When Holy Spirit challenges you to maybe a belief that you've held dear for, you know, one, five, 10, 20, 50 years, it becomes really tough. And, and this is probably... I don't know if it's the right word to use, but one of my biggest issues with denominations is that sometimes what we do is we have these denominations and then we set up these seminaries and Bible schools for these denominations. And then, you know, we, we have these great principles and these great tenets of faith, but sometimes what we do is we have a tendency to say, now stay within this box because any, anything outside this box is scary. Don't go there. Don't read that person. Don't listen to that person. 
And we get so afraid that somehow we're just going to go completely off the rails because we hear someone else. How many know you have Holy Spirit? He's with you. He never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. How many know this too, that you could say this one phrase, Jesus is blank and get 50 some different answers in a room of people, right? And so I, I think it's really important that we see that when we start to come across these ideas and they go against the grain of what we have believed, sometimes we need to be open enough to say, Holy Spirit, is this you? That, that's the journey that I've been on for a decade or more. Just, you know, let, let me say it like this. When the, when, the, the writer of the, when the writers of the four Gospels, when they wrote about Jesus, they would use this extraordinary Greek word to describe the effect that Jesus routinely has on his religious audience. It's the word scandalon. Say scandalon. This word scandalon means a stumbling block, an offense, a scandal. I mean, I mean, think about what Jesus did just in this first miracle. What he did was scandalous. How dare he take the religious icon of purification and turn it into this relational celebration? Jesus, you can't do that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Jesus, you can't do that. Uh, the living God, you can't do that. But, but there's a reason that he does this. But the word scandal on a stumbling block, an offense, a scandal. You see, Jesus is a rock. Isn't there a song that says he's the rock of my salvation? And so we sing and we have this metaphor. Because how many of you ever noticed this, that, that as human beings, we like to... We like to wrap skin and bone on the things. We, we want to have a better understanding. And so, you know, we even use words like he, right? And, and even in, in, the old, in the Old Testament, especially when it refers to spirit, that's actually uh, the feminine, so she. And so we have these he's and these she's, and we're trying to dress God up in such a way that we can tangibly understand and feel. But how many know God is spirit? So we reflect, we're made in... Look at this, his image and likeness. It's just automatic, it's patriarchal. That's how it was written thousands of years ago. But we have all these ideas. We try to wrap flesh and put bone on, on these things to understand it. And so we say, we have these metaphors. And metaphors are beautiful. I mean, in, in the Jewish tradition, when you read through especially the Old Testament and just the hyperbole and, 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 and the different types of uh, poetry and things they would use, they would try to use metaphors to understand. But we would say something like, Jesus is a rock. But think about this. He's one that you either can trip over or just as easily build your life upon. See, Jesus is a rock, but how many know? I mean, how many have ever tripped over a rock? Well, <laughs> it's not fun. Uh, we, we were, uh, my wife, my, 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 I came and talked. My wife was assisting me. Um, I'm a videographer and I, I do weddings and different things like that. So we were at this wedding a few weeks ago and I'm trying to get the perfect shot. And you know, if the bride wants a shot, you say, okay, whatever you want to the bride, right? And so she wants a shot where when we're kissing, I want you behind us where the officiant is, so you can get us in the blurred out background of the crowd behind us. I'm like, sounds great. 
And then, of course, when it happens, I'm going up. There's a microphone stand that wasn't there during rehearsal. All these things I'm getting around. But see, I had to get this shot. After this shot was done, though, I had to run all the way around as, inconspicuous as, as inconspicuously as possible, get all the way around to the aisle at the end of the aisle so I can get them coming back down, right? So in the course of this running around and this unlevel ground, I twist my ankle. And, oh, man, I'm telling you what, I just was like, that was one day. I just was like, Lord, this is not good right now. But I still had to get the shot, so I'm kind of gimpy, limpy up there. I get that shot. I'm like, yeah, stay steady. Oh, dear ankle, please hold out, right? So I could feel it swelling as the day goes on. We had another five, six hours of shooting. Wedding days are long. And so we get done, and we're walking out. And uh, one of uh, our friends is helping us load some gear. And as we're walking across, I don't know how, out of all the area I'm walking, I, had, I found the one rock on that one ankle to hit like this. <sighs> That's a stumbling block. But see, that happens a lot. I'll just use my life as an example. I'm going along. Things are great. I have this belief system. It's wonderful. Man, I'm so comfortable in this belief system. I don't want to have to, oh, oh, what just happened? Oh, man, is that you, devil? No, it's me, Jesus. What? I'm the rock. You're like, come on, Jesus. I thought that was Dwayne Johnson. Sometimes that rock we build our life upon sometimes can be a stumbling block because it goes against the grain. It's trying to get us to stop in the tracks and rethink our belief system. And I think it's healthy and I think it's important that we do this. And this has happened to me in my life. So Jesus, again, he's either that rock that we can trip over or just as easily build our life upon. Because if we hold too tightly to our religious preconceptions, we will sooner or later become offended at Jesus. Jesus, how dare you mess with my beliefs? And so there comes these points in our, our walk where we have to almost live uncomfortable. That's called faith. Saying, I thought I knew where the rails were and where everything was, and now you're saying that there's something else, there's something more. Not that it's something new because it's always been there. We're just discovering it. Come on, that's what revelation is, right? He's revealing these things to us. But sometimes what happens is we become so comfortable that we become unteachable. And we need to stay pliable. We need to stay teachable. I'm all about conviction. Listen, the truth that you're standing on right now is where you are in your journey. Stand on that truth. That's why I can sit down with brothers and sisters, pastors, rabbis, priests, all different you know, levels and, and denominations in the face, sit there and hear where they're coming from and not rain on their parade. It's where they are. And it doesn't mean that my journey is better and that I'm on a higher plane than them. That's what I was going to refer to earlier is as, you know, as we look at all these denominations and stuff, maybe instead of saying, because here's the problem is we go, oh, we found the right way, the one right way. Seriously? What a lack of humility. I used to be there. Wow, we finally, man, our, our movement, we finally got it. <laughs> wow, really? Maybe everyone has a piece of the pie. 
And you know what? I love pie. And I love different flavors of pie. So learn to enjoy. If, if you just had cherry pie, yes, you could probably get through. But man, what about strawberry pie? What? My wife gave me a frown. Okay, banana cream? Okay, then she's good with that. So that's your denomination, banana cream. It's the best. Okay. But I started to see things as maybe we all have a piece of the pie. Maybe we're all on a journey and some people can receive where that flavor of pie is right now of the month. <laughs> but maybe we need to be open to receive something else from Holy Spirit. Not just because some guy said it one time on a podcast. Right? Test the Spirit. Holy Spirit. There's been times I went, whoa, what, what is this about? And I've gone there and Holy Spirit's like, nah, not for you. Okay. Pfft, spit it out. It's blueberry. No, I'm just kidding. I like blueberry. You ever heard that phrase, you can eat the grapes and spit out the seeds? See, this is one thing, and I think we have maybe done in a wrong way. And, and that is, we've come through, because I want you to understand this, the things that you've grown through and the beliefs that you've held are so very important for your journey. Amen? So sometimes what happens is a new way comes along, and we have this tendency to almost... And maybe it's just a Western thing, you know, I'm going to buy the, the I'm going to pay a million dollars for the house on the lake, tear it down and build a new one, right? That's our full art. You're like, what? Who does that? Rich people. But anyway, but, but it's this idea of the new. And so we throw everything out that was previous just for the new, but that's not how we do it. That's what I love about the fact that, that Jesus didn't smash the clay jars. He said, no, let's repurpose them. And that's what I love about Jake Stringer's message where he says, you know, when, when, and I don't really like this word, but I get it. When people are in that deconstruction mode, when maybe the real world, uh, again, I keep coming back to this Nate Blouse message that, that life doesn't read your Bible. And so you've been doing certain things a certain way for five, 10, 20 years. And then all of a sudden life's coming and it's like, okay, wait, something isn't quite lining up. And then some people begin to, destruct, to, to deconstruct their faith to the point where there's none left. And, and I love the message of Jake because Jake's saying, no, when, when you start out a renovation, if you're renovating, say, your kitchen in your home, man, it's a fun stage to grab the sledgehammer. Come on, come on. Come on, guys. We grab that sledgehammer, right? We start sledging stuff. But if you sledge the entire kitchen and threw everything in the foundation, there's nothing left. I mean, that's not a good contractor. You sledge what needs to come out because renovation is taking out the old, but then you have to put in new. And that's what I love in his analogy is that, yeah, we start with a sledgehammer, but at some point we have to transition to the framing hammer, because the framing hammer is where we can reframe some stuff, reframe our world, reframe our belief system. That's a good thing. But then eventually you go from there to the finishing hammer where you can say, okay, I've finished this. But how many know this, especially if you're married, just because you renovated once doesn't mean you won't renovate again. That's the journey. We renovate here. We finish it off. We enjoy it for a little while. <gasps> Time to get the sledgehammer out again. We sledge a few more things, go to the framing, go to the finishing, enjoy that for a while. Does that make sense? And so it's important that we see this. And so for me, being over the last several years deconstructing things, I've still held on to the foundational things. But maybe I've changed my beliefs in certain areas as Holy Spirit has taken me on a journey. And you know what? It's so freeing. It's so beautiful. But it's so scary at the same time. 
And so instead of living a comfortable life, I've actually had to get comfortable with living uncomfortably. Being that I know at some point Holy Spirit's, Holy Spirit's going to bring a new idea or concept my way to just kind of get me to shift a little bit, and I have to be prepared and okay with that. And it may take time. I found that he just doesn't throw it at you. And what's really cool is a lot of times he'll actually bring new relationships to you so you don't think that you're crazy because you feel like you're the only one who's questioning some things. It's so cool how Holy Spirit does this. But be open to that. And there's so much freedom in it. It's helped me, I believe, uh, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as these things shift. Now, I got some growth to do. Come on, anyone else? I'll hold up two hands. We got some growth. It's a long journey, but it's being open in that journey. So what happens is sometimes we become offended, unless, of course, we do what many Christians have done throughout history, and we have this way of maybe taming the historical Jesus through years of conservative tradition. Let's not do that. Let's let Jesus be the dynamic, amazing, God-in-flesh Jesus that he was. Let's, let's dig a little deeper into what he's saying through miracles and through his teachings. Maybe there's something more there. Say this with me. Water to wine. Legalism to life. Religion to relationship. I really want to take this journey together. A journey where we have an openness. Saying, Holy Spirit, I'm open. I'm open to grow and mature. Amen? I love this. We're going to wrap up with this. Uh, there's a British poet and novelist. Her name is Dorothy Sayers, and she wrote this. She said, The people who hanged Christ never, to do them justice, accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. It's been thousands of years of trying to diminish how radical Jesus really was. But when we begin to tap into that, I'm telling you, it just brings this excitement. It brings this fire about wanting to learn more about the God of the universe. Learn more about the connection that he desires with us. Think about that. The one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who spoke you into existence is connected to you and wants you to awaken to that connection and know him more intimately. That's beautiful, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for just this awesome opportunity we have on a Sunday morning to just come together, to worship together, to receive the communion elements together, to be reminded of, a, of how good you are. To realize that it isn't just something you did for one individual here and there, it's for the whole wide world. I pray this morning as we have talked through this first miracle that Jesus performed, that maybe we dug a little deeper and we're seeing some things that aren't so surface, but they're, they're lying underneath. That Jesus literally wants to take us from religion to relationship, from legalism to life. That Jesus desires for us to live life 
from a different perspective. A life where we do love our enemies. We pray for those who despitefully use us or persecute us. A life where we're willing to give of ourselves. Where true love is a man laying down his life for another. Just like you gave us an example on the cross. You laid down your life for us. And even in the midst, even in the midst of that injustice, something that was not deserved by you, you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would resonate with that and that would become more of maybe our life mantra, what we and how we do life with love and forgiveness, understanding that many people just aren't aware of who and whose they are. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace toward me. Holy Spirit, if there's any area within me, within my soul, where I'm believing a lie about myself, about you, or about others, bring your heavenly light. Show me those areas. And Jesus, I give you permission to minister healing, to bring truth to those lies. Help me to better understand who I am and whose I am. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Isn't God good? I'm telling you, he loves you. He loves you so much. His desire is for you to just, just awaken to the fullness of who he has made you to be. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's just amazing. It just, it gives you a life of fulfillment. Because all, I mean, there's nothing that measures up to just that spiritual connection. And that's something that, you know, it could take years to figure out. And I have not figured it all out by no means. But man, there's just no other way to live this life. Amen. We're praying for you guys this week as you go through. I pray the Holy Spirit would just keep working on your heart and just begin to see things in a different light. Know that he loves you. We love you. We're praying for you guys. And we'll see you again next week at 10 a.m. Have a good week. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.